0: Podcasting from Mount Pleasant, Utah, this is the Sanpete Horse Training Podcast. Sanpete Horse Training's mission statement is simple, to send home a respectful, well-rounded, and well-broke horse that can handle a variety of situations. In today's episode, company manager and veterinarian, Dr. Eric Dent, is here to discuss the differences between starting a domestic colt and a wild horse, also known as the American Mustang.
1: Hi, I'm Eric Dent. In this episode, I'm going to compare and contrast our experiences starting colts. We'll discuss psychological differences between Mustangs and domestic colts, common problems people run into, and the awesome thing about each of these groups of horses. We'll also discuss medical considerations when starting colts, and later we'll bring in Anna, one of our trainers, to share her perspective on starting her first Mustang last fall. Have you ever wondered if there is much difference in the way a Mustang is trained versus a domestic horse? We started well over a do- dozen domestic colts here at Pete Horse Training <clears throat> before we worked with our first Mustang. We expected Mustangs to be much harder, To be honest, there were only a few significant differences. The nostalgia of starting a wild Mustang wears off pretty quick, and the work of gaining their trust quickly becomes very similar to a domestic cult. Having said that, there are definitely some differences. So what are they? First, domestic cults that have been handled often have one really major flaw. They are pushy. This is a learned behavior in their interaction with humans. We have had some really extreme cases of this problem come through our training program. Often the owner was oblivious to just how bad the horse had become. Mustangs never have this problem. Don't get me wrong, they can develop this problem quickly if you allow them to. But among the Mustangs we have started, they have never come to us with the problem. Domestic colts that haven't been handled much, or have been handled appropriately, also don't come to us being pushy. In my opinion, it is much easier to start a horse that is flighty and wants to get away from you, than it is to start a horse that is pushy and wants to be on top of you. I remember one of the few, the first few domestic horses that I started. He was a well-bred reigning type horse that the owner dropped off for 45 days of training. From the time the owner led the horse off the trailer to the time that the horse was let go in the stall, the owner had fed at least 20 horse treats to him. The horse was nibbling in the owner's pocket and pushing him all over the place. At one point, he stepped on the owner's foot This horse was one of the pushiest horses I have ever dealt with. It took the full 45 days to get this horse consistently respectful of my space. It didn't do much good. The horse was immediately pushing all over the owner within a couple minutes of being picked up. I compare this with the Mustang mare we trained last fall. This horse was extremely flighty for the first 10 days after which one of the trainers started letting her get just a little bit too much into their space. She started to get pushy, but it was generally fixed fairly quickly when pointed out to this individual. Every Mustang we have trained has eventually tried to become pushy, but it was never present in the first few weeks. Second, the first five to 10 hours of training are totally different with a Mustang. Mustangs either try to get away from you at all costs or less commonly, they try to come at you. Their degree of awareness and desire to run are heightened compared to any domesticated horse. We start all Colts in a 50 foot round pen that has six and a half foot panels I built this round pen specifically for starting colts so we wouldn't have any problems with horses getting loose. It is impossible for them to get out. This is an enclosure that allows the horse to move away from the trainer, but keeps them from getting so far away that they can avoid contact. We've started quite a few domestic colts that were untouched. Even though these horses had never been handled. They had been exposed to people feeding them during the winter, gathering them on horseback or with ATVs to move pastures, and may have even been run into a trailer to facilitate transport at some point in their life. Even though these colts hadn't been touched, their first five hours of training always progressed much quicker than a Mustang. These little exposures of people during their life had desensitized them to much of the human interaction that Mustangs have such a problem with. During the first hours of training with a Mustang, they are hypersensitive to every single movement and are keenly aware of subtle differences in body language. Mother Nature is telling these horses to run, and since they can't, they are totally keyed in to every single little change. The margin for error in these few hours is thin. A trainer must be capable of reading body language to a very high level. This is especially true of sensing signs of relaxation. Where a domestic colt will lick his lips or lower his head, a wild horse will rarely show such obvious signs right at first. Eventually they come around as they start to understand more and become more desensitized. But right at first, there is a huge difference. Third, prey animals such as horses have a flight response. But when they can't get away, their fight response comes out. This fight response is generally much more developed in a Mustang. The three fight responses we see most commonly are first striking with the front feet second kicking with the hind feet and third biting by far the most common is striking with the front feet this often occurs when too much pressure is applied to the horse too early in training but occasionally a mustang will flat out come after the trainer at an unexpected time striking with the front feet is the main reason i would not recommend the average person try to start a mustang on their own These horses are lightning quick. They can hurt you in a split second. There are a lot of trainers out there that push the idea of taking it really slow with a Mustang and giving them their space and not challenging them. I totally disagree with this idea for two reasons. First of all, there's not going to be progress in any sort of timely fashion. Secondly, this is a perfect recipe for a Mustang to get pushy on you. If they perceive that you are not willing to make them move their feet, then they will eventually start to push back. Sneaking around them makes them all the more reactive. I remember watching some videos a while back on Instagram of a Mustang trainer with a large following. This person was using an approach and retreat method, using food, to try to get the horse to be gentled. As soon as the horse would get nervous, they would back off and let her take a break. I followed this trainer periodically over nearly a year's time through the posts that were being put up of the horse's progress. Honestly, I felt embarrassed for her. What took her a year to accomplish, we do in less than five hours. This is because we challenge the horse to grow. There's a famous trainer that is quoted as saying, heart attacks are free. So give your horse one. I could not agree with this sentiment more than when training a Mustang. The problem is, when an unexperienced trainer tries to give a horse a heart attack, this is when they get a hoof to the face. Fourth, Mustangs are quite a bit more sure-footed than a domesticated colt. This is a bit of a generalization that is not always accurate. We've had domesticated colts that were born and raised on the mountain, and we're very sure-footed. It really does seem to be a learned behavior. All Mustangs we've trained have been very sure-footed. Some domesticated cults we've trained have been horrible in this area, yeah. and some have not have not been. The one common de- denominator that seems to be present is if they have been out grazing on rough terrain in open country. If they have done this, they are generally more sure-footed. In my mind, there is not much better of a breed, so to speak, than a Mustang for mountain use. In our area of the country, there are lots of commercial sheep operations. In talking to several of these producers, those that have had a good Mustang will absolutely swear by the Mustang's abilities to function properly on the herd. In these scenarios, the herd runs on the desert in the winter, in the same location that the Mustangs are located uh, naturally. Then, on the mountain in the summer, there is a Peruvian herder that is with the herd 24-7 and rides all day, every day. These horses are worked hard. Some of the producers will say the Mustangs are worthless. But when pressed as to why, they will essentially tell you that the horse was not well broke. This, coupled with the fact that most of the Peruvians don't have much experience riding horses, has led to some bad experiences with all types of horses. But the Mustangs are more aware and more likely to be reactive when not well-trained, hence the stereotype. Some of the producers that have actually had a well-broke Mustang will tell you that they are the best horses on the herd that they have ever owned. Some of the features they like are the quality of their feet, their stamina, and their easy adaptation to the rough terrain. Fifth, Mustangs notice every stupid little difference. One very big difference in the early stages of training a Mustang is that of their level of awareness. They will notice every single change in the environment. They will notice every single change with people. One of the Mustangs we started a while back was an extreme case of this. One day a trainer noticed the horse was exceptionally reactive and couldn't figure out what was setting him off. It was then realized that a different pair of gloves were being worn that day. When the gloves were taken off, the horse was generally more at ease and when they were put back on, the horse was extremely reactive. Of course, in this scenario, it made sense to leave the gloves on as a desensitizing tool to start to expand the horse's acceptance of more things. Every Mustang we have trained will get very used to the primary trainer, then have a much harder time with any other trainer that works with them or rides them. It has been extremely important for our company to make sure that these Mustangs are exposed to multiple trainers. Sixth, Mustangs have an absolutely amazing amount of stamina and heart. They are absolutely not lazy. The degree of stamina that a Mustang has is nothing short of miraculous. These horses will lope down a dirt road for an hour straight and still not act like they want to stop. The typical three-hour long mountain ride doesn't even come close to phasing these horses. From this standpoint, it is much easier to train a domestic colt. Putting long rides and producing wet saddle pads on a Mustang is not very easy. In some ways, this is really nice. They aren't lazy, so we don't run into the issues of training the typical cold-blooded horse. But those really humbling four-hour rides on a domestic colt don't even start to make a Mustang tired. The older the Mustang was when it was gathered off the range, the more dramatic this seems to be. They are used to moving up to 20 miles a day in search of feed and water, so your little 4-hour mountain trail ride of the walk is a vacation to them. This creates a real problem in training. Those humbling rides take 8 to 10 hours instead of 3 to 4. One 13-year-old Mustang we started would literally lope for 2 hours straight without even starting to act like fatigue was setting in. We have never run into a domestic horse that wouldn't give out in that scenario. For those that want to do hard work in the backcountry, these horses just can't be beat. Their stamina is absolutely amazing. Seventh, what about a Mustang's feet? We hear a lot about this from clients that bring horses into both the veterinary clinic as well as to the horse training company. Mustang feet are hard. They are naturally selected for survival, but at the end of the day, if you are going to put a lot of miles on them in anything but the softest footing, you will still have to shoe them. We have had a lot of people call wanting their Mustang train but are adamant that they don't need to be shod. I totally disagree with that. All of the sheep herders with Mustangs will also totally disagree with that. They are more able to be barefoot than any other breed, but that only works for horses that are being ridden occasionally and in softer ground. Don't think just because they're a Mustang that they don't need to be shod. So those are the main differences that we have found when we compare and contrast a Mustang with a domestic colt. Joining me now is Anna, who is one of our horse trainers here at San Peter Horse Training. Anna, thanks for joining us for today's podcast.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So you had a chance to start your first Mustang last fall. Tell us a little bit about the horse.
0: Uh, so the horse is 14 years old. He was a sail authority, uh, which means he was over 10. Um, he was gathered off of the Cedar Mountain. They ran out of water, and so they actually used water traps um, to capture him. Um, so yeah, he's a gorilla, a pretty a pretty big horse, um, reactive but smart.
1: Okay, great. So um, we want to talk a little bit about some of the differences that you perceived between uh, training a domestic cult, which you've done for quite some time and and now with this, Mustang and other Mustangs that you've worked with since him so what do you think is the biggest difference between training a domestic colt and and a Mustang
0: so I didn't expect it to be quite as different other than the first part you know having to rope them um, and touch them for the first pit. after that I thought it was going to be pretty similar um, but it was not I mean, with domestic horses, even when untouched, they're still somewhat experienced. Uh, They've still had some contact uh, with people, even if it's been from afar. Uh, They may be in a pasture and have had a truck drive by. Um, Even sometimes, if they haven't even been touched, they've been around where their mom has been handled. Um, But even even then, they still have had water uh, and food provided to them. Uh, They haven't really experienced any true danger. Um, with the mustangs, you know, they really only lower their head to eat if they if they feel safe. Um, anything that is our size coming at them is usually usually going to be a bad deal. Um, and so their prey instinct was just so much higher, um, and lasted, I guess, so much longer than expected. Um, they really noticed the tiniest tiniest details. Um, for example, uh, the first time, you know, he was in the stall. He'd been in the stall for about two days. Um, and before that in the round pen for about two days. So, you know, he'd had the, the halter on and off uh, quite a bit at this point. Um, I was pretty comfortable going in there and, you know, being able to to place the halter on him and approach him um, fairly confidently. Um, and so I go in to get him, and he's just, he's really nervous. He's reactive. He's backed into the corner. He's got his head up, and he's just staring at me, and it took me a while Took me a while to get him and kind of get the halter on him. And also took me a while to figure out exactly why he was like that. I couldn't figure out what I was doing uh, wrong, what had happened. But what I had figured out after kind of moving around and starting the training session was that my hat was different, and that's what he was nervous about. I readjusted it, and he jumped away. Uh, I took it off and put it back on, and he jumped away. You know, just suddenly nervous of my hat. Why? Because it was white and different than the hat I'd had on the other three days. So I t- it took a while, but I worked with him. He was great. So the next day I wear the same hat and he's much better. You know, he's still eyeing it a little bit, but I approach him just fine. And I go to put the halter on him and he gets really nervous and reactive and kind of jumps away. And it's because I had gloves on that were different, so these ones were bigger and bulkier, and kind of moved around a bit more in his face, and um, just made him a lot more nervous. With you know, with domestic horses, I've never had to, you know, look at what I'm what I'm going to wear that day and be like, is this going to cause a problem? Is he going to have a hard time with this? Never had to think about what to what to dress with in the morning, or um, as the mustangs, they just notice. Every tiny little detail, and with time and experience in the miles, it gets better. But it just takes—it takes quite a bit longer uh, for them to calm down about those.
1: So you mentioned your hat and your gloves. Were there any other things similar to that that you noticed during the training? Was it mostly clothing items, or, or were there other things as well?
0: Uh, so definitely, definitely, kind of everything, with with the the trailer he was actually surprisingly pretty good with that even even kind of like the tools like the the sticks or a different you know halter that kind of stuff he noticed even even just the way you do things you know i put the halter on over his head um and then i go and i flip it i flip it up instead of reach over uh he noticed all those small small details
1: you do so if you could identify one specific training principle or, you know, principle of horse training that you think needs to be approached a little differently with a mustang versus a domesticated colt, what would you say that that would be? I
0: would say probably training both sides of the horse. Horses, you know, they have both sides of their brain, so you've got to teach both sides. And with domestic colts, you know, you you teach them to do something one side and Uh, they get pretty good at it, so you go to the other side, and they struggle with it. You kind of have to reteach it, but, you know, they pick it up fairly quickly. Uh, With the the Mustang, it really um, was so obvious. You know, one side he'd be so uh, calm and good at, and the other side it was like starting from day one. Um, So, for example... You know, I'm working with him, sending him in between um, like a panel and myself so that he's kind of learning to go through a a small space um, but but be respectful and be calm and then turn and and face me and then go back the other way. So one way, so say from the right to the left, um, he's great, uh, he's calm, he's listening, he turns, he's got his head down, he is understanding of what I'm asking him to do and I sent him the other way, and he he doesn't want to go at first. I ask him again, he really doesn't want to go. I ask him again, and then he shoots forward. Uh, he's scared of the panel. He's scared of me. He, he jerks around. He has his head in the air. And it was interesting, because he's seeing the same thing. He's seeing the panel, and he's seeing me. But having him go from one direction to the other was just so heightened on which side he was better at. Uh, so it took a lot of consistency. And a lot more time than the average domestic colt to get him to understand and be uh, good on both sides.
1: When it came to dealing with the one-sidedness of the Mustang, did you notice any difference in which side of the horse was better or worse? Was there any consistency with that? And, and maybe you can answer this question both for the domestic cults and the Mustangs. Did you find that the left was worse than the right, or the right was worse than the left, or was it, uh, was it kind of random throughout with uh, the domesticated cults or with the Mustangs?
0: Uh, so it's an easy question for the domestic cults. Um, the left side is always, always, always uh, easier, um, and even when you're trying to teach the right side, they're automatic. They automatically want to want to put their left eye on you. You're trying to get them to to do something on the right side, and they want to switch to the left. Uh, that's really really common. Um, and with the mustangs, you know, I think that it's still it was still pretty random which side it was. It just happened to be his left side. But one side was definitely more difficult for him in his. But it was kind of like his instinct. You know, when something was scared, he'd he'd scary. He'd put that eye on it, and so it was definitely more one sided uh, training needed, but not necessarily on the left side like the domestic colts um, are so good at.
1: Seems like that's uh, what we see all the time in, in client horses that come in, is they've been handled on the left, and so they're always a lot worse on the right, but. Um, That's always interesting to see the difference between domestic and Mustangs on on this particular topic. So what would you say was the most surprising part of starting a Mustang for the first time? What was it that kind of maybe shocked you a a little bit about the the difference between them and the domestic cults that you'd started before that?
0: Um, I feel like they're a lot more willing and respectful of you. Uh, That was something that was really surprising to me. You know, they come in... Um, and they're terrified of you and they'll do just about whatever they can to to protect themselves um, until they're taught that you know you're not trying to kill them and they just will be a lot more you know they tend to be a lot more respectful of you which in turn makes them a lot easier to train in an aspect of wanting to learn and wanting to please Uh, the domestic cults always seem to be just really pushy and, and kind of belligerent almost, and you've got you've to work on getting your space and um, kind of getting who's boss, whereas with the Mustangs, I feel like they've, they kind of already already naturally respect you.
1: Is there anything else about your experience with domestic cults versus Mustangs that you'd like to share with us today?
0: Yeah, um, I really liked the kind of the attitude of the of the mustangs i've noticed in the mountains they're just quite a bit more forward and wanting to please and they learn quite a bit quicker and and even though they are reactive for quite a while um, once you get past that reactivity they seem to to really understand it and continue to please instead of kind of trying to always find their way out of doing something hard
1: Anna, thanks for joining us for this podcast. We appreciate your perspective. Yeah. Thank you. I want to talk for just a second about some medical considerations while training horses. These things apply for basically every horse, but I'll talk about a couple differences with mustangs versus domestic colts when it comes to medical items. We have trained just about every breed of horse at one time or another. However, the breed that predominates in our area is Quarter Horses. From a medical perspective, there's little difference between Quarter Horses and Mustangs. We see less cases of tying up in Mustangs as compared to Quarter Horses. We also see less issues with stone bruises and foot problems in Mustangs as compared to basically any other breed. Other than that, we really don't see much of a difference. Mustangs are just as likely to colic as a domestic colt. They're just as likely to have lameness issues as a domestic colt. We've talked a lot about differences, but at the end of the day, once you get past day five with a Mustang, very little is done differently or approached differently as compared to training a domestic colt. Once the horse is well broke, the biggest differences in my opinion with a Mustang, are those of natural ability in the mountains and stamina everything else is essentially the same not everyone is going to love a mustang but for those who are truly serious about hitting the backcountry these horses are awesome check out our website for information on purchasing a mustang in this program we purchase a mustang directly from the blm train it for 6 to 12 months then deliver it to you. These horses come to you having been ridden thousands of miles, much of it in the mountain country of the Manti La Salle National Forest. Give us a call with any questions about the purchase of one of these horses.